Uh, so you better get used to it, Naomi. Like, things didn't go the way you wanted to. I mean, this is like significant trauma, right? Not only losing your husband, so now a widow in the ancient world, right? A widow, how, how am I going to protect myself? How am I going to support myself? Uh, and then your sons now are with Moabite women. So how's that going to work? And then, if that wasn't bad enough, her sons also die. So now it is just her and her daughters-in-law. I assume life was just as complicated for in-laws back then as it is now. (laughs) And so it's just her and Ruth and Orpah and like Naomi's Israelite and they're Moabite and and what are we going to do now, right? So that's where the scripture begins. Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go, turn back each of you to the household of your mother because Naomi's now going to go back to Israel. Naomi's going to make the journey. She's in Moab because of the famine. She's going to go back to Israel. The famine's over. I don't belong here. My husband's gone. My my sons are gone. I'm going to go. But she's telling her daughters-in-laws, but you belong in in Moab. You stay here, right? I'm going to leave. You stay here. May the Lord deal faithfully with you just as you have done with the dead and with me. May the Lord provide for you so that you may find security, each woman in the household of her husband. Then Naomi kissed them. They lifted up their voices and wept. But they replied to her, no. Instead, let us return with you to Israel, to your people. And Naomi replied, Turn back, my daughters. Why would you go with me? Will there again be sons in my womb that you could marry? Turn back, my daughters. Go. I am too old for a husband. If I were to say that I have hope, even if I had a husband tonight, and even more, even if I were able to bear sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you refrain from having a husband? No, my daughters. This is more bitter for me than for you. Because the Lord's will has come against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth stayed with her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law is returning to her own people and to her own gods. Turn back after your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to abandon you, to turn back from following after you. Wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do this to me, and more so if even death separates me from you. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her about it. So uh, we're talking uh, about faith and anti-fragile faith and this comes from uh, a couple of books that have nothing to do with faith just talking about anti-fragile systems but I highly recommend them The Black Swan uh, by Nassim Taleb and Anti-Fragile by the same author he's an economist and he's really talking about how to make economic systems anti-fragile rather than the fragile ones that we often see but this got me thinking about faith and so I will briefly just talk about the terms I'm using, and then I want to look at the story of Ruth in depth. So 
if uh, you think about me throwing my cell phone on the ground and it breaking, that's fragile. If something negative occurs, if you have a black swan event, that's what Taleb calls them, right? These unforeseen, unexpected events like Naomi has black swan event after black swan event after black swan event. Famine, we flee, my husband dies, my children marry Moabite women, and then my sons die. Those are like horrible, black swan, unpredictable, negative events. If they break you, if they crush you, we call that like fragile. You're like that's fragility. My phone falling to the ground. Uh, if, I, if I bounce a basketball on the ground, it doesn't break. We call that like it's resilient. It's resistant. It's robust. It can survive hitting the ground hard. It can survive tension, right? Those black swan events. And people can be very resilient. People can survive, right? Bad things can happen and we can grit our teeth and get through. And that's better than being fragile. That's better than falling apart. But it's really not the goal. I would argue that's not the ultimate goal, right? Because there's this third option, which is to become anti-fragile. And this is where the black swan event, the unpredictable negative thing that happens in our lives, just life itself can happen in various stages and in various ways. And when those things happen, they can actually make us stronger. We can adapt. We can become flexible. We can grow. We can learn. And this is like the immune system. When it's met with bacteria, when it's met with infection, it kicks into high gear and it actually gets stronger as a result of that exposure, right? This is in part like what vaccines do. They give you a synthetic taste of it so that your body creates resistance, antibodies to it. It gets stronger because of its exposure. That's an anti-fragile system or the way after a forest fire, the forest comes back stronger after it's been burned, right? We call that like an anti-fragile system. But is it possible for us to become anti-fragile Christians, for our faith to actually grow, adapt, get stronger in the midst of conflict? Like, I don't want you to simply survive the trauma of your life, to simply endure the difficulties or hardships, right? I want you over time, maybe not right away, but over time, to look back and say, that actually made me more faithful. I learned how to trust God that much more. I got that much closer to my spouse or to my child, because we were able to endure, get through this together, we didn't just make it through, but we've changed, learn, grow, adapt. So I want to talk about like what would anti-fragile faith look like. So to begin, I sort of I want to um, I want to read something that I think is true, and then I'm going to sort of come back to it at the end. So I want this to be in your mind as we talk. God disrupts all stagnant systems. God disrupts all stagnant lives, careers, relationships. God is on the move. A God on the move requires followers. A people on the move. A people willing to uproot to change, to adapt, to grow. I'm going to read it one more time. I want this to be in your mind, right? You don't, maybe you don't agree, I don't know, but I want you to think this as we talk about Ruth and Naomi. God disrupts all stagnant systems. God disrupts all stagnant lives, relationships, careers. God is on the move. 
A God on the move requires followers, people who are nimble, who are willing to be uprooted, a people on the move, a people willing to change, adapt, flex, transition. I didn't say pivot because I, I hate that word after COVID. All right. But then I just said it. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know about, that was like, that was my industry uh, word for what we were going to do all the time uh, and during COVID is pivot. But that would fit what I'm talking about. COVID hits and fragile churches don't survive. COVID hits and resilient churches white knuckle it and get through COVID hits and anti-fragile systems, or excuse me, anti-fragile churches figure out what the future of the church might look like now because it shouldn't ever be the same in light of what we went through. Are we willing to grow, change, adapt, think about what it means to do church differently, right? And I don't know what Collister is. I mean, I know we survived. I don't know if we've gotten stronger. I don't know. I, maybe we're resilient. Maybe we're anti-fragile. I don't know. I, I hope anti-fragile. So just for a moment, I want you to put yourself in Naomi's shoes. I want you to try to like, like, what would the world look like to her? Like, what would it feel like to be her? To feel like, I don't, I love my homeland. This is where I was born. This is where my people are. This is where the tribes of Israel are. This is where Abraham was. This is where Joshua settled. These are, this is my people. This is where King David led and ruled. Right? This is, this is like where I belong and instead I have to leave. And not only do I have to leave, but I survive and my husband does not. So I'm a widow, too old to have children, too old to remarry, ultimately, uh, in the ancient world, it would be very hard for her to remarry. So then I'm alone. But at least I have my sons until she doesn't have them. So you read her words as she tells her daughter-in-laws, you're Moabites, stay here. I'm going to go back to Israel. The famine's over. She says, this is more bitter for me than it is for you since the Lord's will has come against me. Um, man, it'd be easy to throw her under the bus, I guess, right? Like, Fragile faith, like, like, like uh, as soon as hardship hits, you, uh, like you blame God in some way. But I have a hard time throwing Naomi to the bus here. It strikes me like she's doing the best she can, man. She's like being graceful to her daughters-in-law. Like you stay here, I'll go by myself. She doesn't, like you can imagine, like I'm watching The Sopranos. I've, I, I just missed the boat on this. If you've never seen it, the mom is the worst. And she's always like, oh, God, kill me now, please. I wish I wasn't here. She's like, it's just nothing but, like, guilt. It's just all the time, right? Like, the, like her son, Tony, can do no good. He brings flowers. I'm allergic. It's like, it's just always the worst, right? You put me in some home. You never visit. And so there's, like, um, a sense that it would be really easy for Naomi to think about herself and to be completely self-absorbed and then her daughter-in-laws that she would have never chosen for her sons to be cruel, to expect something of them. But instead, she sort of like sets them free. It's like she's doing what she can. But she's upset, and she feels like God's turned against her, and I, I understand that, right? Uh, 
I'm not even suggesting that maybe her faith isn't anti-fragile. It's just going to take a little while. Like, hey, Joe, could you give me maybe a couple years to heal from all this before I, like, turn back to Yahweh again? Before I really start to re... Of course, right? Right now, she's just enduring. She's just trying to be resilient. Naomi's just trying to survive. Nothing wrong with that. The hope is down the road. She becomes anti-fragile in her faith. Ruth is otherworldly at this stage, in my mind. The kind of faith that I don't have, I'm not even close to it. To lose your husband, to have the option of staying in the place where you have family, and you have a religion, and you have a faith, and instead to journey with Naomi to Israel where you're the enemy, where you're not welcomed, as a widow, powerless, poor, to follow God like that, that's anti-fragile faith. That's the kind of faith that says, I'm going through difficulty and I'm going to cling to God that much more. I'm going to step out in faith that much more. I'm going to risk that much more. This I aspire to. I'm not even close. I'm, I, I think I could get to where Naomi's at. I think I could endure. I'd love to be Ruth. But Ruth understands something that I think many of us need to hear. That the God we serve disrupts every stagnant system. That my life, as I experience it, as I live it, is under my control. I make my schedule. I decide when I say yes and when I say no. I draw my boundaries. I'm in control of it. And God is going to disrupt that stagnant system. It's going to be because I get fired, or it's going to be because I have poor health, or it's going to be because one of my kids gets sick, or it's going to be because of what all the things you could mention. If I asked you about your lives, you could raise your hand and talk about divorce. You could talk about infidelity. You could talk about economic distress. You could talk about having to move across country. You could talk about a million things. God, um, stagnant systems get disrupted. A God on the move... A God active in the world demands, requires, needs followers. People like us who are ready to uproot, who are ready to flex, who are ready to be nimble. Are we ready? Because Ruth is ready. Ruth is ready to leave her home because of love, because of concern, because of care for Naomi. She's willing to have her life disrupted. And she goes, and it's not easy. She ends up literally like after they till the land, Ruth and others would come and just gather the scraps. This is what she ends up doing for food, gathering the scraps after the harvest. But over time, she actually does fall in love and get married, and she ends up in the line of Jesus. She's like Jesus' great, 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 great grandmother, right? It's phenomenal that a Moabite, of all people, ends up in the lineage of Jesus. It's beautiful. There are no outsiders. But that only happens because she's ready to go. She's on the move. Her faith isn't just dependent on things going well for her. Ruth and Naomi's faith is not just dependent on everyone living and doing well and being healthy. Ruth's faith's not dependent on that. Even when things go bad, the first person she looks to is God. Love, Naomi. 
So I step back from it and I think, what would that mean for my life? What would this mean for my faith? To be ready to move when God calls. To be actively preparing my heart to say yes when God says adopt. Or Pastor Collister. Or join a small group. Or get involved in with the neighborhood kid you know is lonely. Or whatever it might be. Whatever comfort, whatever stability, whatever schedule you've cultivated, it's going to get disrupted. A God on the move needs followers, nomads, migrants. And I'm not sure I'm willing. So I'm saying all of this as a person who hates this stuff. I just want to, I just want to like go somewhere, build deep roots, and like I would love tomorrow to be like today. I eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich every day for lunch. That's not a lie. That's real. That's every day I make the same thing. I have like five baby carrots, a string cheese. This is, I'm, I'm being serious. This is real. An apple. I have like five things every day. Same things. Like they just have to be in the house all the time. I, I, I didn't even know what, like the other day we didn't have string cheese and I didn't know what to do. Like how am I going to get that little protein source? Like what am I going to do now? I don't even know. I put some yogurt in, a, in, like a, in a container, and I lived. It was amazing. I totally survived. <laughs> I didn't pass out at work. I didn't run out of energy. I found another way to get uh, some protein, a Greek yogurt. Who knew? Probably better. <laughs> I hate this stuff. I don't, I don't want to have my life disrupted. I don't want to be on the move. I don't want to have to follow God. But, but another part of me thinks... The best way to live, the most exciting way to live, is that till the day I die, I'm going to be saying yes to God, who's going to be always calling, always beckoning, always pushing. And that, in the end, if I do that enough, I think anti-fragile faith becomes the result. A faith that gets stronger with difficulty and tension and challenge. Not one that gets soft and doughy and stagnant. As we approach the table today, um, we're reminded of how God disrupts stagnant systems. And I, I think about uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's my favorite portrait of Jesus uh, because he's like me. In the garden, he's like me. When he's walking on water, he's not like me. Like Jesus, like, Bring me the loves and the fishes and like feeding everybody. That's not like, I can't do that, right? I barely can survive without a string cheese. He just like, but can feed everybody. Uh, I don't know how to relate to that Jesus. But Jesus crying, praying that God would take this call away. Why would you call me to the cross? Why would you do this? I, I don't, just take it, right? Taking the cup, it's the cup of suffering. It's the cup of suffering that Jesus just drank from with his disciples when they celebrated the Passover, Right when he takes the cup during during like that Passover meal, it's like the cup of suffering, and he's asking God to take it away. I don't want this call. But in the end, he says yes. He's ready to go on the move where God calls. And Jesus calls us to do the same. Right, like pick up your cross daily, be ready to be on the move, be nomads, be Naomi, be Ruth. Have the faith that says yes when God calls. Be ready to move when the Spirit moves, right? Jesus says yes to that, right? When we take the elements, 
when we talk about Jesus' body, when we talk about Jesus' blood being given for us, I want you to think of this like it's a, it's a challenge, it's a call. We're saying yes to Jesus, which is a yes to wherever God might lead. It's a yes to go to Moab. It's a yes to come back to Israel. It's a yes to follow our foreign mother-in-law. <laughs> Who knows what that's going to lead, right? That's what this means. So be careful when you take the elements, when you're like taking it into your very body. Be careful because I promise you God's going to challenge you. And I promise you God's going to call.